This is Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Their minds are not for rent to any god or government. Hello, kitties. We are going to have a great time together. Yes. And I don't say that lightly because I've never said it, right? I don't think so. I've said good with some emphasis, but nothing as strong as saying great. Yes. So today on the show, we have Phil Manzanera, who, apart from being, we were discussing this earlier, at least one of the two, if not three, two longest standing members of Roxy Music, someone who gets along with both Brian Eno and Brian Ferry, which, which is seems like incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, acclaimed producer with people like uh, Pink Floyd, amongst others. He has a new EP that just came out. He has a full-length album coming out next month, and then even more. And all of this was done in collaboration with Tim Finn, formerly of Split Ends and. Neil's brother. Yes, I guess. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's, it's just lovely. Phil's a lovely person. He talked with us about everything. It's yeah, he's yeah, lovely is the right word. He's, he's outstanding. He's everything. And it's, these conversations where we're talking to these people who have created some of the greatest music of our generation and beyond. And then we get to have these conversations where it's literally like, we're just hanging out with them and getting a little peek of what it's like behind the scenes and the, and you know, that whole stars, they're just like us thing. It's pretty fun. No. And I think, you know, talking with Phil, you kind of, you end up in a bit of a world whirlpool, you know? And while he's out there just living his country life. Yes. And thank you. And you think, could there be more than this? Mm. It's like being an Avalon, really. I know. And, you know, I think the nice thing too that he talked about uh, on when we, in the interview is about his love of music and how one of the silver linings of the pandemic was being able to discover that and how truly for him, love is the drug. (laughs) Indeed it is. So um, we should stop now, shouldn't we? Or probably before we we get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, before we get even worse. Before Uh, we get really, really cheesy. Yes, or should I say, oh yeah. But um, well, I mean, we could create a manifesto if you'd like. If we had to, we'd have to kind of remake, remodel this conversation. <laughs> we would. So, while my heart Indeed. is still beating, of course. But of course. Yes. Because you're such a siren. Exactly. Um, yeah, if there is something I say in every dream home, a heartache. Mm. You know, that little bit of, of sour that kind of goes in there uh, with the sweet. Mm, that sounds very Vanilla Sky, but thank yes. you. Yeah, for your pleasure. <laughs> I, well, so, I was yeah. going to say, and now, <laughs> and now for your for pleasure. For your pleasure, there we go. 
our conversation with the one and only Phil Manzanero. If you're done with Celia Cruz Music from Cuba, still a life force Bumping down the avenue Before we get into the new record that I want to clear up I don't know if you've seen this online But there is a letter supposedly To Brian Ferry um, Rejecting Roxy Music And giving you guys a uh, James Last cassette of Polka Party (laughs) uh, To thank you for your submission <laughs> yes. Um, well, when real? I saw it, well, when I saw it, it's actually a, uh, before I joined the band, about six months before I joined the band, the date on it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was convinced that it was real. And um, so, uh, yeah, I spoke to Brian, both Brians, Brian Ferry, Brian Eno, I spoke to Andy Mackay, who was there. No one had any recollection of it. And um, and in fact, there's an A&R guy, a famous journalist, music journalist called Richard Williams. <clears throat> and he also said, ah, no, this isn't, this isn't right. But I mean, it was hilarious. And I, 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 hope, I hope it was true. Yes. <laughs> but whoever did it is a genius because I'll tell you what, the address of the letter was the little house that Brian Ferry and Annie Mackay used to rent in Battersea. So, wow. you know, I ticked all that. But then the one thing, when I first came across the band, they were just called Roxy, not Roxy Music. And then apparently there was a band in Boston called Roxy. So they changed it to Roxy Music. So the only thing that was a bit of a giveaway is that they mentioned Roxy Music. So I thought, ah, maybe, but wow. I mean, whoever did that needs a sort of Oscar or something. Yeah, we had a a long debate about who, which one of you guys would have ended up with the James Last cassette. Who'd get custom? (laughs) I mean, you know, poor old James Last. I mean, it was, that's the real kick in the the teeth, you know. But I, what did Eno say? He said something funny. Um, he was most put out by the description about him in the letter, <laughs> which was very funny. So it, it, it gave us all a big chuckle. That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's move on to the new record. Before yeah. we started, you said, oh, if Tim Finn and I had knew, known that we could work over Zoom, it would have made this easier. How did you guys well, break well, actually, this record? No, what we decided, because we, we, about a month ago, I decided, look, why don't I interview you and you interview me? And uh, we'll record it on Zoom. Yeah. I said, but we'll have a trial first because, you know, so many things can go wrong. So the day of the trial, I, I uh, tried to get on and I couldn't, you know, he couldn't hear me speaking and I couldn't hear him. I said, this is classic. Stuff. Do you understand sign language? <laughs> and uh, eventually, after unplugging everything here in my studio and all sorts of things I had prepared, we got going and we said, thank God, 
we didn't try to do this project by seeing each other on Zoom because we never would have got off first base because we just, you know, don't have the tech knowledge to be able to do that. So in fact, for the whole of the process, up until about a, a month ago, I'd never seen him since, you know, 2015. And um, so we just literally communicated by email, backwards and forwards. And because of the time difference, we were like working a 24 hour shift because, you know, I would do something, send it to him. When I woke up next morning, he already would have done something on it and sent it back. And then it would be his night time and I'd send something. So it, it went on. It was quite um, amazing, actually. And we can't quite believe it. It just, you know, he sent me an email. We'd just gone into lockdown here in March uh, 2020. Yeah. I'm getting lost in time. Yeah. And, um, you know, he he said, have you got any Latin, slow Latin grooves that I could write some stuff to? And by complete coincidence, I had been preparing a sort of Latin-based album. But So I sent him a whole bunch of tracks, not with the top lines that I had already thought of or any of the lyrical content at all. And then he was sort of like ready and waiting. And every morning, literally the next morning, he would send back a track with singing on it and with all the lyrics on it. I thought, I've never worked with anybody like this before. This is, uh, so you know, gradually, I was like running through all my material. I thought, shit, I've run out of Latin stuff. What else have I got lying around? So, so he'll never write something for this. So I'll send him something. Next morning, it appears. I said, no, come on, you're having a laugh. <laughs> this is like Spanish goth rock or something. You know, you're never going to do this. It come back. It's in Spanish. I said, what? Um, it, and we've ended up with like 24 songs, which the first 10 are going to come out on an album on the 27th of August. And this Friday, an EP comes out with four of them. So, I mean, I've worked with not many co-writers over the years. I mean, I can name just Brian Ferry, Brian Eno, John Wetton, David Gilmore. Running out of things, a couple of Spanish um, guys, some guys from South America, but I've never uh, Godly and Cream. Uh, but I've never had somebody who was so sort of literate and also such a, a songsmith, you know, songwriter, singer before. It's because those Finn brothers, they got the Irish gene. <laughs> they got this Irish thing. They know how to tell a tale and to craft words. So I am very happy because basically it meant that I could just concentrate on creating music and musical context and try and like see what would happen if he stuck his voice in this musical world or whatever and uh, not have to worry about writing the lyrics or the top line, which... You know, in general, I prefer if I'm co-writing with someone for them to be singers and they sing their own words. I mean, I did do three albums where I sang my own words and I realised 
how you know it's such a personal thing you can't get anyone else to sing lyrics that you write when you're writing about personal matters you know. but proper songwriters you know can do it all you know but you know, this is just a journeyman type of musician here primitive but it, it's so, I mean, listening to your interviews with each other and getting just those little snippets of the music, I always get excited when something's coming and want more, but it, it's, I, I, I can't even, I could hardly breathe. It was so, oh, just draws great. you in. It was amazing. And I'm obviously a huge fan of yours and the Finn, both of those Finn brothers and everything they've done, they are wrapped around my heart several times. So <laughs> it was like a little slice of heaven to have you two working together. It's just, it's just, it'd be just a joy for me. And of course, yeah, if you've seen any of those having a chat where, how we met, you know, our story goes back way, you know, to 1975, you know, and the first Rock to Music tour and meeting him and all the adventures in London. And then over the years, I mean, one of the things we never, we didn't talk about then was when, I was in LA in, when they were mixing uh, Woodface, mm -hmm. when Tim was in Crowded House Group. <laughs> and the mix engineer was the same guy we used with Roxy, Bob Clearmountain. So mm -hmm. we we're in there and he's mixing and I, I'm visiting. And then they decided they were doing a little show for MTV in a club. And I went along to watch and I said, oh, come up on stage. So I came up and then with that, I thought, what the hell are we going to play? And without telling me or anything, they went into Love is the Drug, Roxy. Perfect. <laughs> they were just <laughs> such fun, you know. And then we went to a few parties where we just sat in a corner with me, Tim and Neil and this other girl singer who was there and just sang Beatles songs and, you know, like you do at a normal party or something. Uh, but with those two guys, I mean, <laughs> come on, you know. Uh, it, it's that, I just adore those them you know and, and Neil I've known since he was like 15 16 because yeah. he was too young right to be in split ends when they came over and then the, the guitarist left and they thought well let's get Neil over and they, they apparently I had no idea but he'd really just been playing acoustic on live and he wasn't used to electric guitar so they said well can he come over and you give him a few sort of pointers to how to you know play an electric guitar you know, so I had him there, thinking back on it, you know, it's incredible because what he has become. Oh my gosh. I, I just know. want to be a fly on the wall of all of those moments with all of you. <laughs> yeah, it was great. They're lovely people, yeah. When it comes to producing a record, you've worked with, you know, folks like Pink Floyd and I, I guess David Gilmore goes under the Pink Floyd yeah. banner. What do you see the role as a producer bringing to an album or a song and how does that differ from your kind of normal role in Roxy where you know Brian's bringing in the music and you guys being like well how do, what, what do we do with this that is that sound yeah okay well I guess I I based my kind of production on the George Martin school of production and that was because the producer on our second Roxy Music album was called Chris Thomas, and he worked with George Martin on Beatles stuff from the White Album onwards. So it's a sort of like a tradition passed down, really, of that Abbey Road, George Martin, 
type of producing which Chris Thomas had learnt all the tricks, if you like, from watching George. <clears throat> and so basically, you're not a person who likes to fiddle with the desk, you know. So you're basically, you're standing back, you're thinking conceptually, and you're thinking you have to get the best out of the artist and that it's their album, not yours. You know, so, so that's, it's a bit of a standoff approach, which some people might say is a bit flaky, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I know how to do, I know how desk works. I know what you can do with a computer. I know, and, but if you combine that school with the Eno, what I learned through working with Eno right on his albums and us together working together in his little room and experimenting a thing, so it's a mixture of all those kind of things. So, but basically, you know, I had a very good friend at school who became a famous journalist and he thought, taught me also to think conceptually. What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What's this song about? What do you want to achieve from it? Have you thought about this? You know, and try and get that out of the musician and also uh, the most important thing is let's create a unique musical world for you for this song or for you. So I think you know to stamp. There's hundreds of songwriters and there's hundreds of great musicians and hundreds of great lyricists and things. What they invariably don't think about is the musical context because that's a big job. You know to think. Of, you know, you, maybe you write a song on the piano or on the acoustic guitar or whatever, and then you've got to sort of bring it to life. But you want it to, to bring it to life in your unique world. That world is made, made up out of a series of choices. So that's what I would say. That is the philosophy behind my kind of production, although I've sworn I'm not producing anyone ever again. <laughs> famous last words <laughs> it does take a lot of time and you do it's almost like doing your own record and, and you live and breathe it and it's it's quite stressful but um having said that someone rang me the other day some italian lady singer would you do something else and i i sort of instinctively sort of said yeah okay i'll work on something here <laughs> Afterwards, I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm not going to do any more of this. <laughs> so it's taken me, yeah, anyway, that's another story. I won't name her in case she is. She... <laughs> yes. <laughs> in case she sees this. Not actually Italian. We meant uh, Swiss. Yes. Swiss. <laughs> yeah, there's Swiss connections. Well. So let's not even go. <laughs> how, how do you create that? Well, obviously, you're each of the the bands you've been a part of and the things you've done you have all of these worlds that are your world right you live in this whole you've created a whole universe with your own work how do you figure out with that artist what their world is well I ask what kind of music they like what is on their musical palette if you like and you know, so as I said, it's a series of choices. So, you know, we can make this more jazzy, more bluesy. It depends what kind of thing you like. Do you like atmospheric stuff? Do you like sound textures? You know, most of the people I do, um, 
are already established. But say, for instance, the Latino bands that I've done, and it's Latino rock, really. Mm -hmm. And there's one in particular called uh, a Spanish band called Los Heroes del Silencio. They just had a Netflix doco, actually. And uh, the singer lives in, um, in L.A. And he sees he's won Latin Grammys. He's like a, the David Bowie of, uh, of uh, rock in Espanol. And, uh, but I got to meet him when he was 20. So we spoke a lot and I, and I said then, what you've got to do is just have a very open mind to lots of different kinds of music. Just listen to all kinds of music. If you love music, then you find out the best in jazz, in classical, in avant-garde, in systems music, in rock, in pop you know and so you've got lots to draw on it's it's like being a writer and then reading a lot and, and well really for lyricists that's exactly the same kind of thing you know mm. you learn a lot through reading a lot if you're a lyricist or musician by listening to all these different kinds of how they all interact together and just enjoying music and it'll come up come back to you. It all goes in. And then when you're making that choice, should I do it this way or that way? You'll have a, maybe a flash to something you loved about a particular type of music. So well, let's do it that way. And so if someone in the choices in the studio, I'll say, we, okay, do it your way. If Or if they, they're stumped for an idea, I'll say, you could do it like this, or you could do it like that, or let's have a go doing it like that. Or, and then you gradually progress. That's why it's a long yeah. and winding road <laughs> to get to some, you know, to get the right vibe, to get the right feeling. And obviously there's a lot to the recording process. Right. And, you know, I've been doing it, next year will be the 50th anniversary of Roxy. So I've spanned the technology from the early seventies, right through to now from analog, 16 track all played together in the studio right up to now logic pro tools just messing around with stuff and so you know i i've lived through all the technological changes so i've got a pretty good grip on what's good to have and what's not good to keep you know. do you what way of recording do you prefer well I like a mixture. Mm -hmm. I like a mixture, definitely. That there's, you know, when we did the first David Gilmore album on an island, we decided that we would record it all in analog and in digital, mm. which was not easy then, because when we started doing the album, I think it's 2004, there, there wasn't a lot of analog tape available in the whole world. David, I think, got the stuff from Holland, bought up like probably every reel <laughs> of analog tape because obviously analog and work, if you're working at the speed of analog, which is 30 IPS, to get the best sound on analog, it's going to use up the tape very quickly. So you know, you've got to have loads and loads of these reels of tape. And then we had the digital going as well, but being David Gilmore and, and part of the Pink Floyd, it's not just normal digital <laughs> it's with special inputs that are the most expensive and wonderful 
specially modified. You know, so it's absolutely terrific. And um, at the end of um, uh, the recording, we, um, David uh, said, should we bring Chris Thomas as well to, to help us, which delight for me, because, you know, he's a good friend. And so, and so for the mixing and stuff. So we started, we, one day we said, look, let's, and because we were recording on his boat, David's boat, which is on the Thames, just incredible. It used to be Charlie Chaplin's manager's boat. You know, it's just like unbelievable. Um, so we're sitting there, the back of the boat where the control room is, and um, so let's do an experiment. Okay, let's, the three of us will sit here and we'll get the engineer to play the digital and the analog. And each person has got to say which is which and which they prefer. So we, uh, so I couldn't, uh, I think I got it wrong, but I, I said I prefer that one. They each knew which was which, but they all prefer, that this is just no difference at all. I said, you know what, we're never doing digital, uh, we're never doing analog again. Wow. It's just complete waste of time. <laughs> and I mean, and you, there you're talking about two people who have had the most incredible history of recording in analog with the Floyd and with Chris Thomas with the Beatles and stuff. Yeah. But we came to that conclusion. If you do digital prop, you know, carefully with the right inputs and outputs, then you master onto tape after rather than master digitally, then, um, you know, it sounds great. So, yeah. One thing that I've... I... I always read about Gilmore's boat and, and the studio and recording the sounds off the back of the boat. Does it rock enough to get you seasick or is it just <laughs> kind of a steady, I've always wondered this. No, I, it's, you know, secured. Okay. So um, yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the Thames goes up and down. It right. doesn't rock. I mean, believe me, I would be seasick. Right. I didn't know if you like needed to wear a life preserver while you're recording or something. Well, well you yeah. might. I would definitely. <laughs> yes. Right. You see so. the swans going by. <laughs> okay. Which are owned by the royal family, obviously. Right. And it's beautiful. You know, you look up and one day I saw a um, the most beautiful bird. I've forgotten the name of it now. It's crazy. One of my, it's one of my favorites, but you rarely, rarely see it. And uh, Kingfisher. Oh, yeah. But it it was just almost too lovely to be in because you could like having a coffee and thinking, this is like amazing. I'm sure it's online. You can see some some of it actually with Mm -hmm. David in there doing interviews and things. That was great. So I'm assuming you guys produced this new record in the EP yourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Can you ever go back to working with another producer or are you just? I like having control of this on my own and answering my own questions, kind of. Um, no, well, luckily, there's a fantastic engineer who has pulled it all together because, quite frankly, Tim records on GarageBand. He refuses to go into anything higher. I, I record on Logic, which I was forced to do a couple of years ago, thank goodness. <laughs> That's one grade better but I won't touch Pro Tools because it's just too complicated. And uh, for me, I can't be bothered to learn. And, um, but I needed somebody that I could send the stuff to 
and to mix. And that guy is a guy called Mike Boddy. He's an engineer. And he has work, been working with Brian Ferry actually for the last three years. And, and I met him first of all, 15 years ago, working for Brian Ferry. But since then he's worked with Radiohead, for weather, you name it, all the most famous people. So having somebody like that, it's almost like having a producer, you know, and, uh, you know, if I send something to him and I don't get a good reaction, I say, okay, there's something wrong. I need to redo this. And also, you know, he will do incredible things. So he has mixed it and it's been mastered at Abbey Road. So, I mean, I'm incredibly pleased with the sounds and results that we've got considering i'm doing it all here mm -hmm. with this guitar one mic uh one little amp that david gilmore gave me a little mm -hmm. flat fender amp one neumann microphone oh no actually i'm using a really cheap sure 757 microphone and that's it uh, oh actually no i forgot there's this little universal audio box called an ox which I got some uh, friendly engineers to come and all set up for me. So it's like idiot proof, you know. <laughs> so I can just play. And I really think I've, I've got some of the best sounds I've ever got with this setup. And it's very much like going back to when I used to be in a little room with Eno in 1972, 73 in his flat in his apartment with a couple of reboxes just doing our own thing and, it's a bit like going back to that. So I've sort of come full circle. Mm. And really, I'm not really one. I have a studio in London. I've not, I haven't been there for a year. I don't really want to go and work in the studio. This is much, much nicer. And, um, you know, I've persuaded other musicians to learn how to use logic and stuff who are in different countries. And I've sent them the tracks. So we've had like, 20 musicians in 12 different countries uh, playing, you know, uh, the great drummer who played on the Gilmore albums in uh, Orange County. Uh, the bass player who actually played on some of Rattle That Lock is in Stuttgart now. My friends in South Africa, Tim in Auckland, uh, just a Cuban guy happened to be in London, but did it at home. Everyone's done it at home. It, it's one of the, the sort of... Um, consequences of this whole world that's been pulled out of shape is that musicians have had to be very resourceful and learn how to record themselves and they've got most of them have got good ears and to can tell when it's good or, or not good but um they've sent me back stuff guy pratt who you know worked was in floyd and Mm -hmm. He's with Nick Mason on Source of Secrets now. You know, he just did his bass part, sent it back to me as well. Sounds terrific. You know, uh, it's, it, I was thinking about it the other day. It's almost like, because it's like four continents, 20 musicians, you know, uh, every generation from teens to me who are 70. Someone in their teens, someone in their 20s, someone in their 30s, someone in their 40s. It's almost like a new kind of world music, but not world music. Right. Mm. It's, and it's bringing together people. And, you know, it's why I became a musician, was to meet other people and to have musical conversations with other people and to let it go over a, 
a whole lifetime, you know. So it really ticks that box for me as to why I do this. Hot by the Heart, the new EP by Tim Finn and Phil Manzanera is available right now wherever you download your music. Don't forget there's a full-length album coming out next month. And for more information and so much more stuff, check out Phil's website, which is manzanera.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. You can check out our website at rockandrollgradschool.com for more grad school content. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We're tired of asking our family members to do so. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mastonen. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together. Yeah.